Easter, as my daughter reminded me earlier this week, Dad, Easter is a 50-day period between uh, the Sunday of Easter and Pentecost. And I was like, okay, preacher's kid, that's cool. (laughs) So my word this morning that the youth group gave me to work into my sermon is bumbershoot. What's a bumbershoot? Steve, do you know what a bumbershoot is? An umbrella. You got it, man, this guy. All right, so i got to work in bumbershoot into my sermon somehow this morning. Otherwise, I have to buy a couple dozen donuts for the youth group Sunday school class next week. So bumbershoot uh, it is. Listen for that word. That's the, that's the secret word this morning. Uh, Easter is still going. It goes all the way up until the day of Pentecost, which is in a few weeks. And Pentecost is like the birthday of the church. It's where we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming and flooding into the upper room where the disciples were hiding out, waiting for something to happen. And then they go out and the book of Acts is written based on everything that they do from that point forward. Actually, based on everything that we do from that point forward. Because we are part of that church. That movement that happened is who we are. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1. I know that the screen says chapter 3. We'll get there in a minute. But before we get there, I just wanted to point out something to you. Some of you may already know this, but uh, and, and uh, some of you may have known it and have forgotten. But did I say Acts 1? I meant Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The Gospels and history. Luke chapter 1. Am I confusing you, Rick? I confused you the second time. Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to read a a couple of verses to you. I want to point something out that you may find interesting. You may have known this and have forgotten. You may have never known this. So this guy, Luke, wrote this gospel, or at least that's what we call the person who wrote this gospel. Um, History, you know, is kind of weird and did different things, and they kept history in different ways, but it's attributed to a guy named Luke, and we think... The book of Luke was an eyewitness account, or at least the author of the book of Luke had some work that was from an eyewitness of all of the things that happened in his book. So this is what he says. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So this is Luke writing, telling us why he wrote this book, and also to whom it is that he's writing. Did anybody catch to whom it is he's writing this book? Theophilus. That, most scholars think, was a single person. Like, that was one person. There is an argument to be made that it was probably a group of people, I like the idea that it was a single person, and if I had to write a paper in seminary about that today, I would write that it was a single person and back it up with all the evidence and probably get a B+. So then turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. uh, uh, So this is what the author says here. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, who is the book of Acts written to? Theophilus. And it said, the author of Acts says, in the first book I wrote, and so we know that Luke and Acts were written by the same person. 
And I don't know if you find that interesting or not, but it's kind of like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and then whatever the second one was. I don't know. I only read the first and last one, which drives everybody in my family crazy, but I don't care. <laughs> I watched all the movies, and I don't think I missed anything. So, no, but I don't know. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Okay, so now you know a little bit about Acts, who wrote it, and I want to now read to you more than what's on the screen. It says 12 through 19. I'm actually going to read 1 through 19, because you have to hear this story. It's crazy, and I think uh, you might like it. So Luke writes about this thing that happened. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked at him intently, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites! Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in His name, His name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given Him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what He had foretold through all the prophets, that His Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. Acts, the book of Acts, is a book that tells us what the Easter church is supposed to look like. I didn't say Eastern, although the Eastern Church is part of the Easter Church. The Easter Church. 
the church of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who died and three days later was raised from the dead, who walked amongst his followers after his death in the new life that he had and showed himself to them and taught them again and then breathed the Holy Spirit into them. That's the church that we're part of. That's who we are. We can read the history of our people in the book of Acts and see what the Easter church is supposed to be about. And I hope that you will. I hope that in the next month or so you will read the entirety of the book of Acts and I pray that you'll be challenged by it, that you'll be inspired by it, that you'll be encouraged by it, and that you will be moved to act as the Easter church. There are things in this book, like this story, this is just like one of many crazy things that happen in the book of Acts. You can read about Peter and Paul having arguments with one another, like churches would ever do that. You can read about healings that happen, you can read about people being arrested, you can read about protests that happen. There's all kinds of great, amazing things that happen in this particular book, and it's one that we kind of leave alone for the most part, because there are things in it that confuse the heck out of us, like walking up to somebody, saying, look at my face, and then saying, I don't have anything to give you except this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get the heck up and walk. What in the world? Have you ever done that? Me either. And I wonder why. Because I hear it happens sometimes. But I want to say this. Uh, Ken, did you build a ramp yesterday? So you've done this. Because whoever Ken and the rest of the people who went and built a wheelchair ramp yesterday at the church, what they did is they allowed somebody to get in and out of their house much, much easier. So I'll ask you again. Has anybody ever allowed someone to walk? Raise your hand, Ken. I have a friend. I can't remember the career name, but he makes... uh, prosthetic legs and that sort of thing. What's that called? Prosthetician or something like that? Prosthetic leg maker. That's the technical term. (laughs) People will literally go into his office with one leg and walk out with two. They go in with one leg and they walk out with two. God still does miracles through us today. All the time. Every other Tuesday at this church, there are people who have nothing to eat. They show up and they walk away with more than they could ever eat in the two weeks that they show up. God still does miracles through us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've heard stories of this thing that happens here on Wednesday mornings called Mops, Mothers of Preschoolers. Wednesday mornings, right? My week is a blur sometimes. And I've heard stories of people being healed, spiritually healed and emotionally healed in those times of gathering with other women who are struggling about what it means to have a preschool uh, terrorist living in their house. Amen. 
And they get together and they, they support one another and they pray for one another and they lift one another up and crazy things happen when that happens. Like we have baptisms in this room because of the things that happen in that room. Miracles still happen. I promise you, I've never seen anybody that can't walk, get up and walk. But I have seen people who can't walk spiritually become healed where they can walk in the spirit of the living God. One of my best friends, having a hard time for some reason today. Sent me an email about a year ago. She's a mixed race woman. Crazy smart. Writing a book that you all will know about someday, but even if I don't tell you about it. It's going, it is a really important book that she's writing. The contract has been signed like it's going to be a thing. But she used to be a professor at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. She's a social work professor. Now she's at Baylor in Waco. And about a year ago, she sent me an email um, saying, Ross, this thing happened where the curriculum that I was told I needed to teach from, I didn't like it. Because it was assuming that everybody that would be using this type, doing this type of work that I was teaching about were white men. And it's obviously not true because my classroom is full of women and people of color. And so she said, I wrote an email to the department head and told him that I didn't want to use this curriculum anymore. And sent it. And I was like, okay, big deal. So I called her and I was like, hey, I got your email. What, what's going on? Like, was that it? And she goes, yeah, I sent that email. And I said, but what's so good? <laughs> I, why? And she goes, well, you don't understand. I used to write those emails all the time and I would never hit the send button. And she said, our, our faith community, when she lived in Abilene, she said, our church helped me understand who I am and who I am in Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ of Nazareth that these two men, Peter and John, healed a person in the name of. My friend Carrie was healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to understand that who she is and what she looks like does not make up who she is. Her looks, the color of her skin, doesn't make who she is. It's part of her, and it's a really important part of her. And she wants it to be acknowledged because she is fearfully and wonderfully made by the author of life. Miracles happen. What I want you to notice in this text is Peter kind of gets all the headlines, as Peter does. He must have really been a D on the disc or an 8 on the Enneagram. That guy, like, wanted all the attention, and apparently he got it a lot. I love him. But Peter gets the headlines, but notice he wasn't alone. 
John was there with him also. But it wasn't just Peter and John. It was the man saying, like, I need help. And so it was Peter and John and the man who was saying, I need help. But it wasn't just the three of them, because once the man received the help that he didn't know that he could actually receive, he jumped up and he started celebrating. And did you notice what happened? He like literally clung to Peter and John, and people rushed around them to see what was going on, and they were amazed at what was happening. It was everybody together doing this thing. It's amazing when you see the Easter church doing what the Easter church is supposed to do, which is heal people, which is proclaim the gospel using words and actions, which is sometimes getting into conflict with the systems around us. Because the systems around us function in ways that cause death and destruction sometimes. And so, we have churches that go out. I I know people who have been arrested because they go out and they protest a system that they think is causing injustices to happen. And they, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, will stand up and say, enough is enough. You are stopping healing from happening in people's lives. Enough is enough. And this is the church that we're part of. Crazy things happen when we allow the Holy Spirit to take place and firmly root herself in our souls. There's a non-denominational denomination called the Acts 29 Network. Anybody know how many chapters there are in the book of Acts? 28. So maybe they're arrogant, maybe they're hopeful. Depends which perspective you want to take. But the Acts 29 Network has a church in Lubbock, Texas. And that church, in the year 2010, came up with a plan called their 2020 Plan. And the 2020 plan was to plant, guess how many churches by the year 2020? 20. 29. The 20. <laughs> oh man, I love messing with Stuart. So they were going to plant 20 churches by the year 2020. Accomplished. They've done it. They're in Lubbock, Texas. And if you've ever been to Lubbock, you know that there are more churches there than donut shops, and that's saying something. And they're not planting those 20 churches in Lubbock. Thank goodness. They're planting them all over the United States. And I know this because Michelle's cousin is married to one of the elders in that church. And I know this because there's a United Methodist pastor friend of mine who lives in Lubbock whose daughter and son-in-law joined this church and became part of their leadership team And that couple, one was an accountant and one was a project manager, quit their jobs, sold their house, moved with their children to Salt Lake City to plant a church in Salt Lake City, Texas. But it wasn't just the two of them. I'm Salt Lake City, Utah. Could be Texas. Some similarities. We'll talk about that another time. They left Lubbock to move to Utah to plant a church. And it wasn't just the two of them. There were multiple families that did the same thing. And they had a plan to get this church planted within two years. At, the, at month 13, 
my friend's daughter and son-in-law moved back to Lubbock because their work was done. And they moved back to Lubbock to rest up to go do it again someplace else. I don't know about you, but I'm struggling with that when I think about it. I've been thinking about it for about a year and a half now. Because I don't know a single person in the Lutheran church, the Presbyterian church, the Anglican church, the Episcopal church, the Southern Baptist church, or the United Methodist church. that is that committed to Jesus Christ of Nazareth to do that. I know people who will... I know some missionaries who live in other countries, but, you know, they're pastors. There seems to be some sort of difference for me between somebody who's an accountant and a project manager and me. Like, for me to go do something like that, or one of my colleagues to go do something like that, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Like, the bishop just says, go do it, and you go do it. But it's a challenge for me, because I don't know if that says something about me and my colleagues and our leadership, that we have not inspired that type of vision within people, that we haven't helped people understand who Jesus is that much, or if it says something about or if it doesn't have anything to do with us, and it has to do with just kind of the system that we're under. Because there's this umbrella system, you might say a bumbershoot of a system, that is over us, that kind of, that kind of limits some of the things that we as leaders in the church can do, but you can. You don't have to be part of all of that. And it's inspiring to me to know that there are people who will quit their jobs and sell their houses and move with their kids, by the way, to another place to do ministry, another state where they don't know anyone, multiple families going to do this. It's inspiring to me and it's challenging to me because we have a hard time finding Sunday school teachers. And it's challenging to me, and it's inspiring to me, because Sean needs people to help him with the tech system here at the church. There are people quitting their jobs to go plant a church in another state, and we have some stuff to do here, friends. Sean can use some help. Our kids can use some help with Sunday school. We're always looking for good youth workers. The ramp team could use more people. It would be awesome if I had to find out that there are too many people showing up to the food pantry and we have too many people. We don't know what to do with all of them. That would be amazing. And I'm going to give you some opportunities for some new things right now. After this church service, find Kathy and she'll be right behind the Jesus paper window. I mean, not behind it, on the other side of it. Like outside, not, she won't be hiding there. And she'll have a clipboard in her hands. And we're trying to put together a prayer vigil for Camino Real Middle School. They had a heck of a week this week. But beyond having a tough week this week, Friday starts testing, right? 
And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week is testing. And those, the kids that go to school there need our prayers to be able to stay focused and work hard and not feel like whatever happens on that test makes them a good person or a bad person. And, and also, their teachers at Camino need our prayers because this testing system that we're part of makes teachers feel sometimes like they're good teachers or bad teachers based on what a 13-year-old does. I don't know that I want that job. Because sometimes I can't get my 13-year-old to go to bed when I say, go to bed. So we want to pray during the school hours on Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week. Do it, please. Please don't make us call around asking for more people to pray. 15 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you can do, sign up for that. In a few weeks, school's going to be out, and we're going to want to serve the teachers down there again by going down on the days and helping them do whatever it is that they need help doing, whether that's scrape gum off of the bottom of desks or clean desks off or stack things up or take stuff out to their cars. We want to serve the people who serve our people. So get ready, because I'm about to up the ante. I haven't been here a complete year yet, but we've gotten through all the firsts. We got through the first sermon. We got through the first week. We got through the first month. We got through the first Advent and Christmas. We got through the first Lent and Easter. And now I'm ready to up the ante. We are a church that is the Easter church. And the expectation for us can be found in the book of Acts. And there's already an Acts 29... So let's write Acts 30. Let's keep this story going. Because we worship the author of life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be inspired to go and to do. Amen.